Welcome to the Cosmic Business Podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, business coach, and CEO of Weave Your Bliss, a company with the goal to help a million spirit-led entrepreneurs build a cosmic business around their genius so that they can earn wildly well and bankroll the change they want to see in the world. A cosmic business is a new paradigm business that believes in collaboration over competition, building a business around your unique genius, aligning to the planets and your intuition, leading with your values, putting your health and the health of the planet first, treating people fairly and building giving into your business model. Sounds fabulous, right? On this show, I will take you behind the scenes of my thriving multi-six-figure business, including strategy on closing more sales, nurturing your community online, plus astrological insights to optimize your business and life. We'll also feature conversations with spirit-led business owners, creatives, and change makers to inspire you. I'm coming to you from our regenerative farm in rural Maine, my happy place, where we are currently creating space to welcome community for retreat and earth reconnection. Let's jump into the conversation. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm so looking forward to sharing this interview with you, featuring Kamala and Janavi of the Samadhi Collective. Before we jump into this conversation, though, I want to let you know that there are still spots available to join me on the Vibrancy Retreat at an Ayurvedic eco-village in South India, where you'll rest and rejuvenate with Ayurvedic treatments, get a deep dive into your astrology, and support to plan a strong 2024 in your business, plus guest teaching and a fire ceremony with Dr. Robert Svoboda. Get the info and apply at the link in the show notes. And there are still a few spots available for the Cosmic Business Incubator, my eight-week high support program for spirit-led business owners who want to get dialed-in offers so they can make more money and impact. We support you with niching, creating an irresistible offering, and a marketing plan that feels good for you and your clients. Plus, you get a one-on-one with me to deep dive into your chart. The link is in the show notes to learn more. Like I said, there's a few spots for the September cohort, which starts on September the 5th. Kamla and Janvi are the sister duo behind Samadhi Collective, an online space and community dedicated to spirituality and self-growth through Sanskrit, Yoga Sutra recitation, mantra, philosophy, art, and music. Their sessions and courses are rooted in authentic ancient philosophies and spiritual practices, which they share with clarity, simplicity, and depth. The sisters spent a large part of their childhood and teenage years in the Himalayan foothills of Rishikesh and have lived more than 10 years in India. They have been influenced by Indian philosophy and culture since birth, cultivating practices such as meditation, yogasana, Ayurvedic lifestyle, and Hindustani classical music. Kamala and Janvi are currently based between India and Nepal, where they have been living for the past year and a half. In this episode, we discussed creating a business around your passions, the power of chanting, especially the Yoga Sutras, finding balance with social media, including some very powerful tips here, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this discussion. And if you do, please share it with a fellow spirit-led business owner you think will appreciate it. And we'd be so grateful if you would rate and review us on the podcast app you are using so others can find us. Okay, now on to the interview. Hello, Kamala and Genevieve. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you for having us. Yeah. (laughs) We're happy to be here. I'm really excited to have both of you. You, You're such inspiring figures on on Instagram. I love your videos. And so it's just been something I've wanted to do for a while is have a conversation with you. Um, We also have some overlaps. You posted something about being at Ananda Maima's Samadhi in Kankal, India, which is a place I've spent a lot of time. And I was like, oh, I've got to talk to them. So thank you so much for your time today. That's such a beautiful location as well. Yeah, one of our favorite places to visit. So you grew up for some time in India. And I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about how you came to India and your love for Sanskrit and miniature painting and Hindustani classical music. Like, How did that start? Yeah. I'd definitely say that it started with our parents and their influence um, on our lives because um, both of our parents are meditation teachers. And so they've had this strong connection 
Yeah, in Indian culture, like since they were in their like late teens and early 20s. Yeah. So really, like since we were really young, uh, we were, you know, learning mantras or learning how to read Devanagari alphabets and practicing music. And so these things have always been a part of our lives in one way or another. And then I think like the first time we came to India, Janvi was two and I was five. And our parents took us to the Kumbh Mela in 2001. So that was like our first encounter with India, um, which obviously left a huge impression on a young age. Yeah. And, and then from there, like we moved around, we've lived in the States, we lived in Holland. And then when John V was nine and I was 12, we permanently moved to India. Um, and so we lived there for six years continuously, um, throughout like our childhood and early teens, you could say. Yeah. Um, so then we just continued the, the studies and that we'd already been growing up with, but like mm-hmm. more in depth now that we yeah. were in India. So we were studying Hindustani classical and John V and I were also, especially John V, <laughs> was studying miniature painting techniques. And we come from like a very artistic family. So all of these like music, art and language, this has all been like very central to our upbringing and then the connection to India as well. So it kind of all meshed together, you could say. Yeah, we were just really absorbing. I think like as children, um, you kind of are just a sponge for what is around you, your environment, the people that you're around. And of course, we were, we were living in Rishikesh mostly. So we were around a lot of spiritually inclined people and pundits and teachers who are very well versed in Sanskrit. So we were just absorbing all of that, even maybe not knowingly, like, you know, it's just around us. It's like when you're a child, you're just kind of innocent to what's around you. It's just what's normal because that's what you're used to. You don't know anything else. Yeah. And then after that, I love that. (laughs) It's just so cool to think about a childhood like that, where you're you know, getting exposed to these things so early, it has such a, you know, makes such a print on you as a child. So most of us don't have that experience. We have to kind of move through a different kind of childhood and then move towards these things. So that's really a blessing. And it's so cool to hear that story. I remember being like, like five or six, and we had a like Jyotish teacher who used to teach us astrology. And I literally thought that was just like, one of the subjects that you study at school. I, <laughs> I just assume that everyone it's like studies math, it. English, astrology. Yeah. Yeah. So those kind of things, it's like just becomes a part of your life so much that you don't actually recognize that there is a reality that doesn't include all of these things, you know, um, which I definitely agree with you. It's a very unusual upbringing for sure. And yeah, we're really grateful yeah. to have this experience. So I'm so curious because I imagine that you weren't thinking this is going to become a business online. <laughs> How did that happen? Um, we were in the mountains. Yeah. Uh, there's a place called Almora. And there's a small village nearby called Kasar Devi. And it was during the the lockdown, the first like COVID lockdown. So we actually were originally in Karnataka. And then we realized like the situation with COVID was getting pretty bad. So we thought we should go to the mountains, basically. So we like took a bus to Pune and then we drove all the way up through India to this small village. And when we reached there, the lockdown immediately started. And everyone was leaving because this village is quite famous. So like a lot of people come from around the world to visit and it's really beautiful. It was like Nanda Devi and the Himalayas there. And everyone was leaving and we were arriving and all of the guest houses were closed and they were like, no, we're not like letting anyone stay here and blah, blah, blah. And so we weren't sure, like, where are we going to stay? Um, and then this one guest house was like, you can stay with us. So we moved in there and we literally lived there for eight months straight all throughout like the, the peak of the, the pandemic. pandemic yeah. And then I guess to, to speak on like how Samadhi came to be, we kind of have to backtrack a little bit because... Yeah. After like growing up in India, we then moved back to the UK, which is where we were originally from. Yeah. And Janvi was studying art. Um, and then I was doing my undergrad in art history. Um, so we had very different paths and visions for like what our future would look like. And like Janvi is a very like hyper-realistic yeah, I, portrait painter. I really saw myself pursuing like portraiture, but I was also a yoga teacher already. So that was already very much part of 
what I was doing and thinking about doing with my mm-hmm. future. And, and then, then you're yeah. going to become a curator or something. I was like really into the museum world, the art world. I wanted to get into that. Um, but then I went on to study some like Indian art. So I'd kind of diverged away from that in my undergrad, wanting to pursue something that didn't relate to India just for like a change of pace. But it just found me again. And I ended up studying um, ragmala painting, which is like traditional miniature paintings that are based on the modes of Indian classical music. So paintings that represent music. Um, and those paintings had a lot of Sanskrit inscriptions. So through that, I was like, oh, I should do a master's in Sanskrit. So I was like, okay, let's let's pursue this now. And <laughs> I moved to Oxford to do that, um, studying Sanskrit there, which was extremely rigorous. And I feel like I I was like thrown right into it and I learned a lot. But during all my vacations, we used to travel to Karnataka where I was studying traditionally and we were both studying mantra and um, Sanskrit grammar in a traditional context. So all the vacations were also occupied with studying and being back and forth between the UK and India. And then the day after my final exams, we moved back to India. Yeah, yeah, we came back. And so that kind of leads into the point where we're on our way to the village and we're back in India. Uh, we found this guest house. We're stuck in, I mean, stuck is maybe not the right word because it was beautiful and we could be in nature. And we just got very inspired. Like I had been writing a lot of essays on topics yeah. from philosophy. Also an interesting thing to mention is this point that we were staying at, this Kasar Devi place is in fact one of three points in the world that's considered to be like a vortex. So there's um, Machu Picchu, there's Stonehenge. Is it Stonehenge? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stonehenge and then Kasar Devi. So like NASA has been studying these points for like certain energy or I'm not sure like exactly the details of their study, but there's like certain qualities to these three points on the globe. And I think we felt like super creative in this environment. Yeah. So we were just like, John, we was doing so much art. I had been writing a lot on philosophy and we were like, let's do something for fun, you know, pass the time, put some things together and like share them. And um, we started recording some little clips from our music practice and some mantra practice. Yeah, and sharing some videos that we'd recorded um, before the lockdown started in Varanasi of us mm. reciting the Yoga Sutras, yeah, which is also where we studied the Yoga Sutras in yeah. Varanasi. So it was like something nice to share. And mm. then we, a lot of people started reaching out to us like, we want to learn the Yoga Sutras with you. So that's when it really like turned into what we share now. Yeah. So we just started offering sessions online. And of course, in the mountains are... We had to work out our Wi-Fi connection and the people at the guest house were so helpful to us and they would always make sure the Wi-Fi was But it was like always a storm going on because it was the monsoon season. Our first session, there was a huge thunderstorm. I guess, was it the monsoon season or was the weather just crazy? I'm not sure, but there was a storm and the power went out and it was our first class. (laughs) But we kept going and eventually like found a good good rhythm with it. And then it just kind of um, took off from there. I love that. So what is it like working with your sister? I mean, I think it works nicely. It feels like a good balance because we've always like balanced each other out, I think. Yeah. And we have very different skill sets. So like, and I feel like we get on pretty well. So we don't have that much like conflict with um, decision making. Yeah. Yeah. We just like, because we do different things, we kind of just balance each other out like we do anyway. Yeah. And then like to teach together, it's so nice because as we said before, like we were envisioning our careers to take very different turns, I guess both like in the art world, kind of that type of vibe, but then you were the more like academic version of what I was doing. Yeah. (laughs) Like Sanskrit and philosophy. And then I was interested in like practical physical yoga and she was studying art history and I was painting. So you can see how they link, but we just couldn't see it at the time. And then Samadhi, like kind of creating that made us realize how our individual skill sets can work together and we can actually like really meld together the things that we are interested in, in a way that is cohesive, I think. Yeah. So it's really, one thing that we always did together was our singing practice, our Hindustani classical Mm. singing and our mantra chanting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So we had those things, which were like part of our, just our everyday personal practice. And then like 
you know, beginning to share more and more of that and seeing that people were um, interested and they wanted to know more about it. And so it became like, we just wanted to share more because... And I think during the lockdown, everyone was looking for something more beyond like just a physical yoga practice. I feel like that time frame Mm. was when people were really seeking to know more. Beyond like asana. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was good timing. I'm so curious. You know, I do a lot of chanting as well. And that really resonates with me. You know, that I'm doing Jyotish. A lot of people come to me for to get that other perspective, like beyond just the physical practice, like you were saying. Um, But teaching mantra, how does just having a mantra practice affect your business? Aside from teaching it, like how has it impacted you? Yeah, it is really like the backbone of our own kind of experience and practice. And so in that way, like it becomes like our business or is not our business. But it is like a sadhana in yeah. itself. I wouldn't even like it is a business, but it our business becomes like a sadhana or like a spiritual practice because yeah, what we teach is what we practice ourselves. So it's, yeah. it doesn't feel like work rather than just an extension of the way we live and mm. our lifestyle. Yeah. And being able to share that is something that we're really grateful for because sharing is almost like the best way to learn. Yeah. You learn so much from sharing with others. That's true. Yeah. So we kind of found that like our own, the our depth of our own practice. practice, like with each, with each course we teach, with each mantra we share, it just like we go deeper into our practices, mm-hmm. which is so nice to have your practice also be what you do with your life and also just like sort of connecting with so many people who are you know in all different countries around the world and have a similar um inclination towards these these spiritual practices and you know sharing with them but then also learning from them because you know we're we're sharing sanskrit which is of course a language and so many people come to our sessions um you know from all over with many different native languages. And so we can find these connections, like new connections and new understanding of things through the lens of so many different cultures. And seeing the influence, like, or the connection between Sanskrit and other languages that you just wouldn't expect. Mm. Like so often our students are like, oh, this word in my language is, sounds really similar to the Sanskrit word you mentioned in the session, you know? It's really cool. Yeah. My experience with mantra as well as like the backbone of what I do, even though I don't teach it, I just find that it's like a medicine, you know, and and my teacher, Shantala Sri Ramaya, who teaches Veda studies in Belgium um, is the name of her company. She's really talked about each mantra having a medicinal effect. So if you need more faith, you do a mantra for Shraddha, you know, and you need more, more potency or, more, you know, be able to be like more focused, you do an Agni mantra, you know? And so she really thinks of it as like, these are medicine, yeah, you know? And so the vibrations of Sanskrit sounds like each syllable or each sound um, in a word contains the essence of what that word means. So when we're reciting mantras, we're literally creating the vibrations of the meaning, even if we don't actually know the meaning, you know, we might be chanting and we're not sure in our own language what it means. Um, but those vibrations already will have an effect, even if we, like I said, even if we're not sure of the meaning. I mean, of course, yeah. the meaning substantiates and um, shabdarta, the concept of word and meaning going together hand in hand is very important. But the vibrations in themselves have the, the potential and the capacity to transform our mind, our body, our environment even the world, you know, from the microcosmic scale to the absolute macrocosmic. And that also links back to our Hindustani classical music is that every raga, which is like a piece of music, relates to a season, a specific disease, like... How to, you mean to cure? Yeah, to cure the disease. If you, you know, often a Vaidya might recommend you listen to a specific raga to help with certain ailments you're suffering from they each link to a season they link to a time of day Mm. and it's all to balance you know the mind and the body so it's like that in music and then with mantra the sankalpa like you were talking about you know the intention behind the recitation of the mantra or the reason for reciting a particular mantra will um you know create that effect 
with the literal, the vibrations literally are transforming because they are reverberations. So they're literally like present in our bodies. And so that will have, of course, an effect. Yeah. I have a friend as well who's a Jyotishi and she's also been trained in, in Indian music and she's focusing right now on teaching people the raga associated with their moon position. So the nakshatra of their moon. And so I've been working with a raga that she gave me and that's been very powerful to, you know, support like through the Jyotish lens, like looking at where you may need some support and specifically the moon is our emotions. It's the way that we feel inside, right? And so oftentimes, especially with women, especially in this day and age when there's like a lot of pressure and stress, working with the moon can be really powerful. So um, yeah, that just gives you kind of an example of this. Yeah. Remedy. And it also really illustrates like the interconnectedness of all these different spheres, you know, like music, astrology, Sanskrit, mantra, like everything is has this underlying root, which really um, one ties into the other, even Ayurveda as well. Like all of these spheres are interconnected at the source, which is really beautiful because we have these different um, expressions or ways of um, tools. tools, yeah, to understand ourselves and to understand the world in a more yeah, like holistic. lots of different lenses, all on the same thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, different. Do you know the name of the rag that you've been um, working with? Bairagi, yeah, or Ravati. Okay. Nice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> My moon is in Ravati, so that's okay. the the one associated with it. Ah. I am curious to talk to you about the yoga sutras in specific and chanting them. I've, I've read them. I've never chanted them. So I'm curious, what is it about this text and chanting this text? Like, could you talk a little bit about that? Why was this the first thing that you started with? Mm. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a really beautiful question. I think for us, like, the Yoga Sutra really explains the mechanics of attaining the state of yoga. So it's like this, the union with the self, which is completely like the intention and the ethos behind um, Samadhi Collective. Like the first chapter of the Yoga Sutra is the Samadhi Pada, which is the section on pure consciousness. Samadhi can be translated as pure consciousness or equilibrium, the state of, of union with the self. And so for us, the Yoga Sutra completely embodies what we want to be sharing through our Samadhi Collective. And so starting with the recitation of this chapter and then, you know, continuing with the, the other three chapters in the Yoga Sutra, just for us, I think it's really about just embodying that state throughout life and to like strive to embody that state of union with your, your yourself um, throughout life. And so to us, it was just like the, I guess it, it wasn't even like a decision or a, a choice. It just kind of unfolded in that way. Yeah. Just like the name Samadhi Collective was mm. always just like the obvious yeah. thing. We just kind of yeah. felt very connected to this, to this um, experience text. that, yeah. um, and the text, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you could chant something for us. We talked about doing something for the Navagrahas uh, since yeah. Jyotish is my... Sure. <laughs> and <Yes>. since <laughs> astrology is like the kind of underlying theme of the podcast. So maybe exactly. you could go ahead and do that. Yeah, yes, so course. this is a Navagraha mantra or also known as a Graha Shanti mantra, which is uh, for peace among all of the nine planets in Jyotish. And this is one of the mantras that we share in our Mantra, the Sound of Yoga course, which is a course on 10 different traditional Sanskrit mantras and talking about how we can implement them in our day-to-day -day lives and the philosophy behind them and um, these different themes that we can understand through the mantras. So it's, um yeah, it's a beautiful mantra that we love to recite. So yeah, shall we recite it for you? Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Brahmamurari stripurantakari Bhano shashi bhoomi suto buddhascha Gurushcha shukra shani rahu ketava Sarve graha shanti karabhavanto and so this mantra means it's referring to Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, the three murti or the three principal deities. And then it lists all of the names of the planets. So the sun, moon, Mars, and Mercury, and Jupiter. 
Venus, Saturn, and then Rahu and Ketu, which we have in Jyotish. And then it says, may all of the planets bring peace. So when you recite this mantra, any influences of the planets that may be affecting your particular kundali or your chart at that time will be um, neutralized and balanced. positive, yeah, balanced. And the positive effects can then come through. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. That That's a mantra that I was taught by a teacher in South India. So I was really happy to hear it was that one when you were chanting. So thank you for that. Um, I'm curious because you mentioned earlier business being like a spiritual practice. If you have more you want to share about that, because that's something I talk about a lot that, you know, our business can be an expression of our practice. It can be an extension of the values we've learned from our practice, you know, like treating the earth right, collaborating with others, focusing on our health first, like putting our health at the center, not profit. You know, there's so many examples of how that looks like giving back. That's something that's really important in my business is donating. So I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about that and in your experience. Yeah, I think that if we think back to like our childhood days, those the values that we have been instilled with from a young age, and also our our parents used to um, work with a lot of Vedic pundits. So we were really immersed in that kind of environment of Um, those traditional qualities and a lot of things that we have implemented into our lives now, which we might not necessarily see um, as being, I don't know, it's just like, like we said before, these things that just become integral to your life. So you don't really think about them. But I think also through sharing um, more and more about our own practices with others, we're then kind of aware of the fact that there are these certain things that maybe are not so common to to embody in your life or to be cultivating in your practice. And so in that way, I would say that we're kind of... But also it's just like we have this amazing platform where whatever we do in our sadhana or, or our practice, we can share with others mm. so they can also incorporate it into their practice. Like for me art is like really a meditative process especially with the influence of miniature painting so it's so nice to be able to just create something as part of my sadhana and be able to share it with others and they can get that feeling from my art Mm. so in that way I think everything that we share is just an expression of our practices and it can benefit other people because that energy is in everything that we do. I think, yeah, like Janvi said, it's everything we do is like an extension of ourselves, an extension of our own practices. So I think for us, like the most important thing is the like intention to keep things as close to the source as possible. So when we're teaching Sanskrit courses, when we're teaching these mantras, yeah. we're really to honor our teachers and the lineage. Yeah, that we're part of. exactly to honor like this lineage of thousands of years and these things, like the way that we practice them, we want to cultivate that authenticity and to make sure that we are pronouncing things correctly, because that's what gives the mantras their efficacy. So, you know, anyone can um, learn to pronounce the Sanskrit alphabet. It's It can be very easy to do. And then once you have those skills, you become completely self-sufficient. So you can pursue any field that you're interested in with that backbone of you know, accurate pronunciation, understanding the alphabet, understanding um, the scripts that we can use to write Sanskrit, because Sanskrit doesn't actually have its own script because it was passed down through an oral tradition of recitation. So, you know, Devanagari has become the most commonly used. So learning how to read and write in Devanagari, all of these things, they give the tools to then be able to pursue, you know, your own interests in a very um, self-sufficient way. So refined way. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I feel like uh, learning these things with like having correct pronunciation and putting your best efforts is a form of devotion and respect to your teacher because it's it's showing their expression and what they have offered you to its like fullest form. It's like an offering to them. Mm. And I always think about that because I remember... Um, one of our teachers recently saying, uh, saying to us, he was saying that how we sing is just a reflection of, of his teachings. So it's like, if we can do our best, then it will automatically like reflect what he is giving and 
his teacher taught him, etc. Mm. And in that yeah. way, you kind of feel like, um, at least very for connected us, to your teacher and very connected. the teacher's teacher and the teacher's teacher's teacher. Yeah. But you also feel this responsibility because when your teachers take you on, especially for us, because a lot of the teachers we've worked with, you know, growing up and and now, um, you know, they they usually teach in Hindi and they would teach people from India. So for that, for us, um, you know, being of foreign origin, even though we have grown up in India, I think for us, we feel like an especially even more so a responsibility to um, uphold things in a very traditional way. And, you know, with the, the accuracy, with the precision in order to, um, to really honor the people who have given this knowledge to us. So I think that for us is a big responsibility, yeah. well, not a big responsibility, but a big commitment that we um, believe in upholding. Yeah. So that's another thing that I would say is like very much at the core of Samadhi and what we share. I so, so agree with that just from my own experience. You know, when I'm in India, I have Indian friends who don't dress traditionally and they'll be like, you can just relax. You can wear jeans. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do that because I'm a foreigner. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to do, I'm going to be respectful and, you know, not stand out. And I'm just going to honor this culture that's given me so much. And I have a question for you and you can decide if you want to answer it. But I'm so curious because so many people I know, their parents, you know, my generation, I'm in my 40s. So I know a lot of people who are parents and they really want their children to follow some of the things that they're interested in. And it sounds like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, like there wasn't a rebellious period that you you all were like, I'm not into this Indian stuff. So I'm so curious, like, is it having the teachers? Is it having like, like, what did your parents do that allowed you to really, and I know there's karmas involved. I know there's more to it. But if you have any like words of wisdom for parents who have um, the desire to help their kids really follow in these traditions. I mean, it's hard for us to answer. I feel like our parents would have to answer how they did it. But yeah. I don't think we were very rebellious. Cause I don't think we were like forced into it either because no. they were always open to us pursuing whatever made us happy. Yeah. Um, and that's why like I initially... Even if it was completely different to what they were interested in. Yeah. I, feel, I was thinking for myself, like the most rebellious um, I got was to deciding to study like art history and then wanting to pursue like, you know, the more Western art branch, like, you know, studying Renaissance yeah. and like all of these things just to have something different because so much of what I'd done throughout my life had been connected to India. So for me, I was like, oh, let me, you know, explore something different, yeah. study something different. But of course, as I said earlier, like I ended up studying Indian art. So I think that was my way of like finding my way back to it myself in yeah. a way. I don't think I had a rebellious face because I always just, this was home, like India's home to me and everything that I grew up with that feels right to me. So even yeah. when I lived in London and I I just wanted to come back to India, <laughs> like <Yeah>. I just <laughs> wasn't interested in, in the way people were living there necessarily, or like yeah. it just, I didn't connect to the culture there. I think like you were saying advice for parents. I mean, like I said, it's hard for us to answer, but I think that like what Janvi was saying, one thing that really, I guess, worked is that they were, you know, this is, they were like, this is what we do. And you, you know, you're a part of this and you can do what you want. Like if you feel like doing something else and you don't want to join this puja today or, you know. But also with the depth of knowledge that we were given at such a young age, it's like, there's nothing that's like, I can't find anything that has that m much meaning outside of mm, this. So why true. would I look outside when I already have it all here? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a deep point. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there I isn't... Think <laughs> John Wee's always the deep one with the philosophy. I think, yeah, but it is, it is really like a question of just letting it be something that comes from a true desire to learn from yourself and a, a curiosity for these, these ancient teachings and this philosophy yeah. and just a desire to know more about yourself. I think that, that really, yeah, I like to, I always compare like, this knowledge to like the roots of a tree. And it's like when you have strong roots, even if your, you know, your branches and your leaves go here and there, your roots are still grounded in this, this knowledge and it will keep you anchored. Mm, another deep point. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have a, 
a related question more to business. I'm curious because, you know, a lot of us spend time on social media. You're using social media to spread, you know, this very powerful ancient, these teachings, right? And so what does your process look like with that? How do you manage your time? How do you make sure you're not overusing this tool or that it's, you know, harming you or your practice or your process? That's a great question. And I think something that like everyone today can relate to. Everyone's trying to balance it. Yeah. Because so much, not even like, I mean, in business, of course, but also like social media is our personal lives too. So, so much of of our lives in contact with friends and like, yeah. So it's like keeping that balance as well. Like this is like my time to use it for socializing. This is my time to use it for uh, work. Mm. Yeah. But, and also... I think like for us, we have a few things that we do, which maybe help, I mean, could be helpful to others as well. But I think one thing that we both try to implement into our, our days is not using our phones or like not checking any social media for the first like few hours of the morning. So like until we've completed our like morning routine and all our practices, then we won't be like checking our phones and that having that morning to yourself, it like sets you up for a much more balanced day because I think a difference like with like just grabbing your phone first thing in the morning is that's the first influence. Right. Yeah. There was like an article or something about it, how it actually affects your like dopamine receptors or something if you and it start your day it with, definitely feels like that yeah, it so does. it's like something that i definitely avoid because then it's like your whole day is like set with what you've seen on social media immediately mm-hmm. like that is what you're putting into yeah. your body first thing in the morning and then other things that really help like one of them is using instagram from your laptop because that isn't as appealing as like scrolling on your phone. So if you really need to get work done, you can just open it up on your browser and, you know, reply to messages or do whatever Mm. that really helps. And then the other thing that we quite frequently try to do, I won't say we do it every week, but we do try is for both of us to do like a no phone Sunday. So it's like you switch your phone off for the whole of Sunday and focus on other things and it goes by fast. You end up, you know, getting into lots of, creative projects that and you, you end up feeling more energized like and more creative as well yeah it's a nice way to like end the week so that you can start the new week like full of creativity and ideas yeah earlier this year we did like we did a week of panchakarma in rishigesh that was so nice because i didn't use my phone for a whole week like i didn't even look at it so it's like having those moments as well, where it's like you remember that. By the way, I was using my phone because she wasn't. So someone had to be on top of the emails and everything. Yeah. So it's my turn soon to have the week off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we can also help each other like balance it out. Like That's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that really helps. Like taking on tasks so really that love someone that. else can take time off. Yeah. That's nice to have a partner. Yeah. So it's, I recently went to, um, a traditional ceremony of the Lakota people. That's my husband's tradition and I am native. So I by proxy have been interested in Native American things as well. But you, you know, you sleep on the ground in a tent and you're participating in a ceremony. You know, it's like you aren't touching your phone for an entire week. And it's, you like, remember that you're a human being, yeah, <laughs> you know, so like true. you live on the earth. You're yeah. and everything you know, becomes... just eating food that's cooked on fire. Yeah. <laughs> everything Amazing. feels more alive when you do that. Like, yeah, I remember having like, the best conversations and like really feeling present for them because yeah. I wasn't using my phone. There was true. no like, oh, I should just check my notifications like there was Mm. none of that so refreshing it's interesting it's such a paradoxical thing because social media is like so amazing in the sense it connects people and there's so many tools and so much information that we can access but like at the same time it is so distracting and it can lead you to so much procrastination so it's like such a it's yeah it's two things it's like a two side double-edged sword yeah (laughs) yeah if you can work out how to like keep that balance, then it can give you so much. Mm. Yeah. I think it's a deep test. You know, like I found that it's easier to just meditate or to do your practices. It's much harder to like come into the world and deal with these tools and deal with relationships and money, like all of these things activate different parts of us that need to be worked out. So I heard one 
recommendation recently. And I'm curious, I feel like the artists and you all will really reject this idea. But (laughs) somebody told me that if you turn your phone to black and white, that you won't scroll through your social media because it's boring (laughs) for your brain. And so you'll put it down. I have not yet implemented this. Put that out there for people who might want to try it. Yeah, I think the hardest thing for me with that would be Pinterest because I get so inspired scrolling on Pinterest. It's like... But colors, colors though. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm like buying into it. It it does. Yeah. Maybe I should try it and then you can turn it off to go on Pinterest. (laughs) (laughs) But that makes sense. Yeah. There's so many things that like make social media so attractive. Yeah. Yeah. It's designed to be addictive. So, but we try and bring a little bit of like knowledge amongst all of that. So hopefully when people are scrolling and they come across, I was going to say like, it's, It's so refreshing to see feeds like yours where it's something that's really adding value. And, you know, when I first came across your work, it was an image that Janavi had painted of, of Shani, of Saturn. And I was just stopped. It stopped the scroll for me, you know, and I think that's what we all look for in our businesses is how can we create something that is simultaneously meaningful, beautiful, that reminds us who we are, you know, reminds us what's important, you know, and has that quality to it. Like, I do believe we can use these tools in, in powerful, transformative ways to awaken that part of ourselves. I maybe call me optimistic, but no, I <laughs> and that's why I wanted I to have you on the show because I feel like you guys really embody that with thank your you. work. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I think that like with Janwe's art, I always like admire everything she makes, but it does like kind of take like make you stop scrolling like you said because she puts like so much detail into everything and I see her like working on these pieces and I mean I think that amazed with what she can create so I'm lucky that we get to work together and that she's my sister that's a a bonus (laughs) it's definitely the influence of um miniature painting that's helped me create my unique style I'd say yeah and also like the visual bringing these like deeper philosophical concepts or topics through like something that is visually captivating. I feel like that's quite... One thing that I find super inspiring is the small unnoticed details that you come across in in miniature paintings. Like they're just the little things in the background, the like the patterns, the textures, the mm. those little elements, the way the eyes are painted, mm. just like the the parts that make up the whole. Those are my biggest inspiration for sure. I love that. And and what we were saying earlier about how all these things are related, you know, I feel like one thing we do in the West often is we silo things off. We're like, this is painting, this is music, this is language and, you know, studying a technique. And like what India does so well is it's all in a web and they're all having a conversation. They're like sisters you know, like you two, you know, they're, they're, they're integrated. And so like when Janavi's painting and she's kind of responding to something she's learning to chant or teaching, chanting around, you know, it's like that is in the conversation of the image, you know, so it's like, true. they're not a part. Yeah, I totally, it was so what you mean. It was just thinking about this the other day, because it's like before like technology and modern life, people live their day, not like, okay, this is the time for socializing this is the time for work this is the time for like and having these like blocks where you're like dreading some and loving other ones it's like they were all weaved together like you'd work and then you'd you know you'd laugh with your your friends that you were working with and you you know like it was all integrated yeah yeah and another thing I was thinking about what you were just saying is like this this um, adage which says unity and diversity and like Indian culture is very well known for being having that unity and diversity. And I feel like the same applies to all of these spheres or practices, you know, like language and music and art and philosophy, like all of these things are incredibly interrelated. And even actually for my MPhil thesis, I was writing about the Devi Mahatmya um, or the also called the Durga Saptashati. You might have heard of it. So this text dedicated to the goddess and the goddess is the embodiment of everything in this text. So she has infinite manifestations, but at the same time, she is just Devi. She is one, she is one supreme goddess, which contains all of these uh, forms. So it's like this idea of 
although there is multiplicity in many different deities and many different appearances or accoutrements or the way that they are represented, their vehicles, their ayudas, their weapons that they hold, all of these things have a much deeper significance that goes beyond the surface. And so it's like that mm. with Devi. She is everything, but at the same time, she's just one reality. So I feel like the same goes for all, all the these different, different lenses. That, yeah. Like Ayurveda, yoga, mm-hmm. uh, Jyotish, mm. uh, mantra, all of these different yeah. things are all part of yeah. one, which I think we mentioned at the beginning. Yeah. And even yeah. the six systems of Indian philosophy, the Shaddarshana, they are all understood to be different ways of looking at the same reality. So you just yeah. find, you find it everywhere, which is amazing because there's always new links to be made and always new ways to, to weave things into a way where we can understand that everything is everything, you know? Yeah. Which is, and it, <laughs> again, like when you realize that each time you come across something that makes you realize that again, it's like a little light bulb moment. Yeah. So beautiful. Um, so I'm curious, I usually ask people what it means to be working in your purpose. So we're talking about Dharma, right? So do you have any thoughts about that? Like to be like, what does that feel like for people who are striving to, to, to get that feeling? <laughs> Maybe you can just give a sense. I think like with Dharma, it doesn't necessarily have to mean like, pursuing a specific profession or um, pursuing something that maybe your parents or grandparents or ancestors pursued, although it could definitely be that as well. But I think it's more about pursuing something that feels evolutionary for your own spiritual growth. Like if you are spiritually inclined, pursuing something that has that as at the core of, of it. Yeah. And you can feel when that's true. You feel like you're doing something right you're doing something that isn't harming and it's like all of those principles that are in the yoga sutra like you're not harming anyone you're everything is like truthful is joyful it's giving you joy and giving others joy if it's all of those things then you're you're you found your dharma yeah yeah and it's it definitely is about it's not about like the the self or like the individual, yeah. but more the understanding of everyone else being part of you and like somehow connecting in that way. Yeah. And I think that like the dharma in that sense is to kind of have this connection with people that helps them also realize that we are all the same, you know? Yeah. And help other people find what their dharma is. <laughs> yeah. In a sense, through what you do. Mm, yeah, even if we're just acting like a mirror, you know, that it's possible. It's it's sometimes it's just really inspiring to see someone in their dharma. So then others can be like, oh, I could do that too. And it's like, it doesn't have to be a specific path. Like, it doesn't mean, oh, I have to be in my dharma, I have to also be a mantra chanting teacher. Like, it could be anything you do. You could be a like a chimney sweep, but if you're doing it with devotion and like for the greater good of others, like that is your dharma, you know? I don't know why I was thinking like a marine biologist. When I was a child, I wanted to be a marine biologist. (laughs) I don't know why, but yeah, it just, I think it is just whatever. Very rebellious. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's doing whatever is meant for you, but with devotion and dedication. Like sometimes you see someone who's just so happy doing the simplest thing and they found mm. their dharma in what they're doing. That's another thing. Like it reminds with- me, I was in Japan. Oh, yeah. amazing. Love oh, that. I was in Japan once and somebody was sweeping, sweeping the street, you know, and they were just whistling and they seemed so happy. And I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. You know, it's just like simple. And it's like, a, now I would say it's like an expression of santosha. It's like, no matter what's happening, we can find satisfaction and balance and be joyful. You know, and so I agree, like Dharma's not necessarily tied to making money. It's tied to the four Purushartas and the other Purushartas as well. Like we have to have all of those things, but like we do it in a, in a way that's righteous or balanced or in harmony with the world around us. And that may look like being a caretaker and not getting money, but taking care of someone in your family. Or, you know, I live on a farm and that very much feels like a Dharma point for my husband and I that we share. So we were very much pulled here, you know, and so just felt like it wasn't something that we, you know, we had a desire around, but it chose yeah. us. You yeah, know? Right, exactly. Yeah, totally. it is that. And it's like, 
when you, but anything can be your spiritual practice if you do it with devotion. It could、mm. be doing the dishes, like if you do it because oh, I want them to be so clean, and I want you know, like you do it with you. You're doing it for the detail. You're doing、mm. it because you want to do it really well. You want to do each、yeah. task you do with devotion and dedication.、Yeah. Then anything can be spiritual、yeah. practice. Anything can be dharma. And I was thinking of our the lady who cleans our apartment. She is always giggling, and she's always super like blissful and happy with everything. And so she attentive does. to everything. Like, and she like polishes like our like like puja materials, like the brass plates and everything, like spotlessly. And she's like so happy to, to like that, to do、yeah. that. That is dharma.、Yeah. And I think also like. Dharma brings this like sense of simplicity as well. It's like it's not something that you have to think about so much. It's like you know when you are doing something that feels purposeful for you, but like it's it's just simple and easy. You know, it's like you're not having to think so much about it. It's just like a simple, just sense of being, and you can just be and feel like comfortable within yourself. You know, I think that、yeah. is really like how I. How I see it. Also, I was thinking of a funny story about、okay. in、um, there's a story in Dubai of this guy who used to clean the beach,、oh, and <laughs> it gets pretty dark. Yeah, it yeah. does. We'll skip over the dark part, but he basically was cleaning so much, and he like was going beyond his like realm of what he was supposed to clean, and so like the people who were working with him were getting annoyed. They were like, "Why are you cleaning that area? That's not your area." And the king of Dubai found out that he was cleaning like beyond his area. And he he gave him like his salary tripled, but then then for ten years or like, something like enough、yeah. until he was going to retire basically.、Yeah. And he was like, oh, but I want to continue working. Like he's like, go back to your country now and just you know enjoy. And he's like, no, I want to continue cleaning. Like, and so he was like, okay, you can you can stay and continue cleaning, but you still get to like have all of that money. Like, yeah, it was like, like it kind of illustrates. It's like he doesn't、point. care. About the money so much as that he enjoyed the process process of what he did, you know. Yeah, it's a, a funny story. But yeah, and the money somehow... comes right. Like, yeah,、that's... right. Exactly. Yeah, it was just a byproduct. He wasn't thinking about it. That's so true. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that was just a kind of funny story on the side. <laughs> <laughs> no, it reminds me of that. I don't know if you saw the best foreign documentary at the Oscars. Was this movie about? These two brothers in Delhi who were cleaning kites, I think they were like the, this con- specific kind of bird、um, that would get, you know, they would eat trash and get stuff lodged in them. So they they had this whole operation inside their house where they would collect these birds and like fix them and put them back out into the world. And it very much has that feeling of dharma. You know, it's like they that's what they're here to do is to help these birds.、Mm. And so it's. Like the money comes too in that situation, so it's it's an interesting kind、it's、of similar tale to, to think about business as well. It's like when you're in your purpose, then can become business. I guess you could say, yeah, yeah, that you'll be taken care of. You know, like if you're serving the 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 purpose that you're here to serve, it feels like things organize in your favor. And take care of you. So if that means like somebody's feeding you every day, or <laughs> you have a place to live, you know, like my Jyotish teacher always says, I'll never not have a place to live because of Jyotish. Like I will always have a roof over my head. And so that really, you know, spoke to me <laughs> at a very deep level. It's like, you know, the beauty of going so deep into the study is that people want to hear from you, and yeah, so for sure, yeah, you for have sure. that inherent. That gift, that attached gift, I guess,、yeah. to the work.、Mm-hmm. In knowing that, that also gives you the like the confidence in yourself because you know that, and so it will definitely become true, or it is true already because you are also reinforcing it because you know it. You know what I mean? But it's like also if you give to the subject, in a sense, like you are dedicating your time to it, you are doing your best with it. It gives to you.、Mm-hmm. You know. Like it's a, like a gift.、Yeah, it's a living, breathing yeah. thing.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a relationship. It's not an acquisition. You know, in、yeah. the West, we think of a lot of things as acquisition, and it, in this case, it's not. It's alive,、yeah. and、right. you have to have a good relationship and be able、yeah. to dance with it. <laughs> <Yeah> . Totally. <laughs> so I have a few rapid fires for you if you're open to that. Yeah, sure. So one is 
What is one piece of advice that has really helped you in your life? For me, I would say something my mom has always said to me, like since day one, I mean, since I could understand, um, is to never be afraid to ask questions. So no matter the situation, no matter if you think you're going to look silly or, you know, it's always about like keeping a curiosity for learning. And so just never being afraid to ask a question because what's the worst that can happen? You're only going to learn something. Um, so I always stick by that and I am always asking questions and just absorbing more and learning more. And so I think that always sticks yeah. with me. I think for me, um, I remember my, my dad wrote a beautiful quote by our guru on the back of this photograph that he took in Switzerland. And it's all about being natural and the effectiveness of being your natural self. I guess I could read it. Should I read it? (laughs) Okay. Naturalness is the basis of effectiveness. If one poses to be something else, one loses the charm of naturalness. The result is that one accumulates a stress. We do not think of life. We live it. We do not think of others too much. We do not think of ourselves too much. We just behave in a natural way. Don't make moods, wondering what anyone thinks of us. We do not live life on the remarks of others. It is enough that we are naturally helpful to others. What others think of us is not our concern. It is their concern. If we are weak, we will always put ourselves at the whim of others. We do not base our lives on the opinions of others. But we, if we are not clear in our conscience, then we will always be weak and will always mind the looks and remarks of other people. It is the weakness of individuality if it always looks to others. It is important only that we radiate life. Every individual must be a joy to himself, to his family, and to his society. And that's something that just always stuck with me, to always be who you are naturally, and then everything else will take care of itself. That's a quote by Maharishi Mashiogi. Not so rapid Mm -hmm. fire, but really beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean a rapid fire or a juicy fire, I guess you could call it. <laughs> um, so the next question is, you've mentioned your morning routine. So what part of it is non-negotiable for you? Mm, I would say our meditation. meditation yeah. yeah, That is something that we practice twice a day. But in the morning, it would be like completely the first thing that we would probably both of us would probably do. I mean, before, you know, getting into work or getting into any other things, it just like sets you up for the day. So I would say that. And I think our morning, both of, for both of us, I think as well, like our morning routines could be changeable because we do travel quite a lot. Also, which is from the Yoga Sutras, which means if you consistently practice, then it will have that grounding Yeah, it will be unshakable. That's so true. And so just like having that one thing set, even if, you know, your morning routine looks different when you're traveling or something. That's such Mm -hmm. a good uh, sutra to bring up actually for here because it is that it gives you that grounding that can just be the foundation of your day every day. And so that just never changes. I agree with that. And just having a routine, I think. Yeah. is grounding. It is. It really is. Yeah. Just having something that you know you're going to do before you look at your social media (laughs) or, you know, anything like that. So thank you for sharing. So are there any books that you would recommend or what are you reading right now? Sometimes people recommend books that are helpful, you know, for what we've been talking about, if you want to share that. I I just started this book, actually. I'm reading Sadhwani. Do you know Sadhwani? It's a collection of Ananda Mahima's teachings. And it was compiled by one of her main disciples, Bahiji, whose actual name is Jyotish, which is yeah. interesting <laughs> as well. Um, so I just started that. And it's like just beautiful teachings that just uh, from Ananda Mahima. And they just, each one's like, oh, wow, you know? So that's a really nice, a really nice book that I just started though. So I don't know if I, like, of course I recommend it. It's Ananda Mahima. And for me, this might be surprising, but I am reading Autobiography of a Yogi for the first time. Janvi has read it before and really recommended it. And somehow... I think everyone reads it at some point. Yeah, I think everyone has to read it at some point. It's amazing. I'm like halfway through, but it's every story and every like 
detail is just so, um, it just really affirms like belief. I feel like just belief in whatever it is you believe in, in the universe or in God or in deities, multiple deities that are maybe have the same source, but it just affirms belief through so many different ways. And it really, and it makes you think about like those, those times when you see something that may seem ordinary, but was actually a blessing. It reminds you that you're always being looked after or like you're always being guided by in the, the right way yeah, where you're supposed yeah. to be. You, yeah, you're, you're kind of just like living and then whatever is meant to be is going to be. So you can, it's, yeah, it's full of really good stories and um, I'm really loving it so far. So yeah. that would be my I remember there's a, a bit about astrology in there as well, mm-hmm. like in his bangle and how his guruji was like, you have to wear this bangle. Oh yeah. For like a certain period of his life. And yeah. And he didn't wear it or something. And then oh, really, it was interesting. Maybe I haven't got to that yeah. part yet. Anyway, uh, another thing we would really recommend. I love that book. Oh yeah. I was just going to say like, it's been such a seminal book for so many people, including my mentor, Dr. Robert Svoboda. You know, he read that book and decided to go to India, you know, and I think like George Harrison also had that experience. Like I read that book and I had the similar experience of like science is catching up with <laughs> this reality that yogis have known for so long. And the stories are so powerful that I agree. They like really, they enkindle belief within you and help you to kind of hold what you know to be true through your own experience. That's what I, that's what I had yeah, when I read it. Beautiful. I remember when I read it, I I felt like it's like that feeling that you get when you're close to the truth, like with each story. It's like Mm. that, that happiness, that excitement when you're close to the experience of truth. Yeah. It's like a very specific feeling that I'm sure Mm -hmm. a lot of people listening to this Mm. will resonate with. And I think because we're recommending, we have to recommend something Sanskrit based as well. So I would say that everyone should read the Upanishads, um, you know, like the the principal Upanishads. And mm-hmm. even just like if you learn to pronounce Sanskrit and to read them in Sanskrit, and even if you're working with a translation for the meaning, but to just like pronounce those sounds and to like read them, it's really, um, the Upanishads are really like the, the condensation or like the most essential truths from the Vedas. So it's like a way to understand the Vedas in an accessible format. And so just reading these things, you come across so many mantras and mahavakyas or these aphorisms, which have fundamental truths in them, which you can really apply to your life and to like further your understanding of things. So I think definitely reading the Upanishads would be a recommendation for everyone. So for for people who want to read the Yoga Sutras and maybe they don't, understand or can't read the Devanagari or understand the Sanskrit. Is there a translation that you all recommend? Um, well, the thing is with the translations of the Yoga Sutra, you do find that most of them have like a similar vein, but I always like go by the idea that you should like learn basic Sanskrit and then like understand them for yourself. Because if you understand each word's meaning, you can really get to like the essence, which is really hard to capture in a translation. Um, So I think like just beginning that Sanskrit journey, if that's something that appeals to people who are listening, like they'd want to to start to do that, Um, you know, like just learning to read and write and pronounce pronounce the alphabet and and then getting into like recitation of the text. We always, if anyone who's listening to this hasn't read the Yoga Sutras yet, I would suggest they learn to recite it first Mm -hmm. and then pursue getting into the meaning yeah. because it gives you this beautiful opportunity to come into it with a completely like blank mind where you won't be thinking, Ooh, I guess this is the sutra about this and like getting distracted yeah. and you get to really experience the meaning of the yoga sutra through the sound. That's so true. Yeah. Cause when we're teaching, we always teach the recitation before the meaning so that you have the experience of the sounds in Sanskrit first, and then you before can, intellectualizing it, yeah, yeah, and then we can analyze and everything. But I mean, of course, many people have already read, so that's also great because you can come to it with your, you know, your own understanding and appreciation for the philosophy behind yeah. it. But and that can be really nice as well in a different sense that yeah. you you get to experience a different, a completely different way of looking at the Yoga Sutra through this like sound vibration. Mm-hmm. Instead of like you get to, yeah, 
you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm going to put a plug in here for um, a friend of mine gave me a copy of collected Yoga Sutra translations, and it's got the Sanskrit words broken down. And oh, then nice. also, uh, yeah, there's like 12 different versions. And this was oh, published nice. in um, the 90s. So these are like okay. Satchitananda's version. And like, you know, there's just some really classic translations that you can see right next to each other, how they each um, that, would yeah. translate the, the the wording. And some of them are so, they're very different, but they have this Shakti. So I'm going to put that, I don't remember the, the man's name at this moment. I think I know <laughs> the one you're talking about. These and, and I also forgot his name, but I know, I think I know the one. It's yeah. great because like you said, word by word is so helpful because then you can start to piece together yourself. Yeah. And work out how everyone came to like the conclusions that they did. Yeah. <laughs> that mm. So yeah. I'll put that in the show notes. I'm going to go, I, I have it sitting downstairs. I've been Amazing. digging into it. So nice. I will add that into the show notes for people who are interested. And so how can people connect with you online and find out more about your work? Um, so you can find us on Instagram um, at samadhi.collective. So samadhi S-A-M-A-D-H-I. Um, that's where we really share like most of what we do. You can always find new posts and new information about upcoming courses there. And then we also have a website, which is samadhicollective.com. Um, you can read more about our offerings there. And we always have offerings going on, whether they be Zoom sessions that are live or um, you know, pre-recorded. You can follow at your own pace. So Anything, um, any questions, or if you're interested in any courses with us in Sanskrit, Yoga Sutra, Mantra Chanting, Philosophy, you can just email us or message us and we'd be really happy to let you know what's coming up. And yeah. And also you sell Genevieve's art, I think, yes. on your website as yes. well, right? We have one print available right now, but I'm hoping to bring some, a new selection soon because yeah. we haven't created anything like printed anything yeah. new recently, but I have so much I would like to share. So mm. if you're interested in art, definitely Beautiful. keep a lookout. And our current print that's available is the Shanti. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, it was really enjoyable. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cosmic Business Podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review for us so other spirit-led entrepreneurs can find out about us. I want to thank Team Podcast for production support on this podcast, as well as the musicians of the music that we're listening to now, Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantu Ledesma from an album Fragments of a Season, which you can check out wherever you listen to music. I hope you have a wonderful day and I look forward to connecting with you on a future episode. Mm-hmm.